0: This is Deer Hunting Song.
1: Snoweth, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. A program celebrating First Nations languages and cultural topics, including history, poetry, music, and spirituality. Snoweth, broadcasting on Vancouver Co-op Radio, from the unceded Coast Salish Territory every Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m. and syndicated on UBC CITR 101.9 FM, Wednesdays 4 to 5 p.m.
0: Hi, this is Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM. I'm Cyrus Greenall and you're listening to Snow Wilds, which is all about First Nations culture, teachings, and language. So we're joined today with Jelena Bighorn, um, but before we speak with her, we're going to listen to a song by Big Garrett Willie, Up in Heaven.
2: <laughs> I'm just ready as I never met you. He's trying to call me. You can it, Little girl, you know I never pick up the phone. And hook yourself up. He's trying to call me. And you can Little girl, you, you know, know, know I never pick up the phone. You you said, brother, I'll be there every time you win, and brother, I'll be there every time you try, and every time you fall, I'll be there to pick you up, yes, every time you fall, I want you to get right back up. time kind you of feeling down. Just know I'm always around. And I'm right up here in heaven. So don't forget about me. I'm doing this fine. dream.
0: Big Garrett Willie singing Up in Heaven and that was a beautiful song that Garrett wrote about um, the late uh, Chief Marcus Alfred who was a friend of Garrett's, a friend of mine um, and was an amazing artist um, that unfortunately passed at, at, a, at a young age I think just a couple of years ago um, So to you know, kind of leave on that somber note um, we're joined with um, Jelena Bighorn who is a teacher, um, an indigenous woman, um, and also a a great friend of mine. Hi, Jelena. How are you?
3: Hi, Cyrus. Nice to be here.
0: So maybe you could start off by telling folks who don't know you. I know you joined us on the program, gosh, maybe a couple months ago. But maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how we came to meet.
3: Sure. Uh, Well, as uh, Cyrus mentioned, my name is Jelena Bighorn. I am Lakota. I'm originally from Montana. That's where my home reservation is. I grew up in Oregon, but my parents ended up moving us to Vancouver Island, and I distinctly remember when I was, must have been 11, when my parents had come back from a conference and said that we were moving to Canada, and I cried and cried because I said, I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> I, can't, I can't live in Canada, I don't speak Spanish, <laughs> because uh, of course I didn't know where Canada was. <laughs> The U.S. Uh, education system is severely lacking. I had no idea there was a country north <laughs> of Oregon. And so I ended up moving to the, to the island and had the, had the privilege of spending time with the Cowichan people there and, and, and really starting to ad- understand what it meant to be Lakota. I think having grown up in the culture when you're you're not confronted with other, you just tend to accept that this is the norm. So it was actually very helpful to be in that territory and to meet um, that w- wonderful tribe and to learn that, that there are different customs and ways of, of connecting to the Creator, but then also seeing the similarities. So I ended up staying in uh, British Columbia, eventually going to UBC, where I met my husband, and, uh, who was also a member of the Baha'i Faith, which I am. And that's how I met Cyrus, through that community and we've been here ever since and I ended up going into teaching
0: so what what drew you into teaching?
3: (laughs) well my parents my father was a social studies teacher and my mother was a high school counselor and it was made very clear for me to me from a young age that I had two options for careers (laughs) and I I resented it and I fought against it I swore I was going to be a nurse (laughs) that clearly didn't happen and it wasn't until my third year of university i'd I'd been very interested in race relations anything to do with african-american history the the minority history but i I was able to do some volunteering and recognize that i have a capacity to work with young people and that I, I, i enjoy their company i think i'm i'm able to be in a learning mode when i'm with them which they appreciate so, in the end, I did go back <laughs> into education, just like my father.
0: And what is it, you said you were able to be in a learning mode. What, what does that mean?
3: I think it means that my understanding, and this also comes from the Baha'i writings, that human beings, we aren't, we're not empty vessels, that there's actually these gems within us. And Baha'u'llah, the, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, describes that education, that, that man is a mind rich in gems of inestimable value. And he says that education alone can cause it to reveal its treasures. With that attitude and that understanding, which I think very much mirrors the understanding of the Lakota people and many indigenous people, that are, we have these innate spiritual qualities, and if we are given the opportunity and we, we put the effort forward to polish them and to bring them forth, that that's really the, the purpose of education. So I, I hope to some extent, that I'm able to bring that into my classroom and look at these young people, not as as my inferiors or that I'm their teacher, that actually were were human beings that were relatives, and mm. I try to extend that that understanding to them that they're my my nieces and nephews, and my concern for them is very sincere, and it's the greatest desire that I have for them is that they achieve this capacity that they have within them that. Many of them, I don't think, recognize that they have.
0: Interesting. I, I've actually, I've had the pleasure to meet some of your uh, former students, and I, um, I don't know if it's because of this philosophy, but I, there's something unique about them. Um, I think the way their um, maturity and their, um, and it seems like their kind of connection to you um, seemed unique. And you know, is this you know kind of philosophy of seeing them as equals? Um, as as um, you know part of the same members of the same family human family does that um is that you know really received well by you know others in the school or is it something that 's welcomed
3: by the students definitely mm. and I think it depends on which course i 'm teaching i I teach English and social studies right now I have four classes of first nations twelve. BC First Nations twelve, which is a, a history course of the Indigenous people of this area, and the students who who take that course are very aware that uh, that I am the teacher who, who instructs that course, and that I will be able to bring in so many aspects of my culture. That the the relationship that I will build with them is one that is spiritually based. So it's it's a great. I'm so grateful that that. I'm allowed to, in that space, really teach the way that I was taught by my grandparents and by the elders in in my community. So, from my my perspective, I think the students greatly appreciate that they're treated in in a way that allows them to have dignity. Mm. And, and unfortunately, I don't often see young people given that dignity that they deserve.
0: Yeah, because I I think about you know my time in school and the word spirituality is not um, used at all really at least in my time and I imagine it's still kind of a word that is um, that people refrain from using but it makes sense in a First Nations program I think to to you know disconnect spirituality from the program would be kind of disingenuous um, because at least my understanding um, I'm not as familiar with the Lakota teachings but the teachings that I'm familiar with they are spiritual nature and if you remove that you're removing the the source you know then you're just kind of focused on the expressions
3: i i think i very much agree with you and that is part of my concern with the, the curriculum that's coming in and it's very much including indigenous perspectives but without that spirituality aspect you really don't have the foundation of what of what all of these teachings are so it does create an interesting dichotomy Uh, in the school setting one which is I think meant to be secular one that is it's not meant to be religious or spiritual in any manner but we cannot be successful if if we're trying to bring in indigenous modes of learning uh, principles of learning there there has to be a a foundation an understanding that there is a creator and even one step further beyond just believing that that there's this concept of prayer Hmm. that you know our indigenous students come with that strength they come with that knowledge and then from their own communities and their own upbringing that of course we pray. I mean, everything on this planet prays that the trees raise their leaves to the sun in their own form of prayer. We're, all, we're constantly connect, trying to connect with the creator. So that's a strength that I, I find these Indigenous students come into the classroom with. And surprisingly, or maybe not, I, think I find many other non-Indigenous students are also searching for that that connection to something greater than themselves, whether they're following a very specific religion or whether they're ex- exploring spirituality in general, there is a, a place for that conversation to happen. Because if it isn't happening in, in a school setting where we're learning to take in other perspectives, to, to listen respectfully, then it's happening on social media or in, in their small social groups where there isn't that, that respect built into those spaces.
0: Yeah, I I think the philosophy that, you know, in school program right now is to completely remove the concepts of spirituality and and religion and, and like you say, to have it secular. Um, And then those things, I guess, take place at home. Um, And, you know, there's this question, like, what does, how how does spirituality belong um, in, like, in education? you know, what does that have to do with math and sciences and, and English? <laughs> you know, and I you touched a little bit about that, but, you know, what what do you think, you know, what do you say to that?
3: Well, my understanding is that uh, the, the basis of education actually comes from any of the spiritual leaders of this world. That uh, Muhammad, because of his teachings and his wisdom, was able to encourage the people of the Middle East to explore the sciences and explore mathematics mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm not a very learned person on this, but what I do, what I have heard is that many of the, the advances that have been made actually emerged from from that religion. Yes, and there are other spiritual teachings that have also had a, a tremendous impact on society. To remove, try to remove ourselves from that as though it were, you know, something that we were ashamed of. That. Certainly there were atrocities committed in the names of various religions by individuals, but to, to say that these teachings are in some way uh, below our, our new system of democracy or that they somehow are impeding our education system, I think it would be untrue. It would be a, not a, a full representation of the influence that, that r- religious beliefs, uh, spiritual beliefs have had on civilizations.
0: Yeah, no, this is a very good point, and you're you're absolutely right. Um, you know, in in every faith, I I, I believe, but I, I'm more familiar with uh, Christianity and Islam. They have brought about um, myriad of um, scientific innovations, and you know, during the Islamic Golden Period, um, if you can ask anyone who's like a student of mathematics, there during the Islamic Golden Period, that was um, that part of the world was the um, Generator of all kind of mathematical innovation for several hundred years. You know, we use words like algorithm and algebra. Right? Those are al, um, algebra, algorithm. So if we um, even the the f- I, I had to look up his name because I always forget. But the the father of surgery, um, Al uh, Zahrawi. Um, so he was the father or uh, a founder of modern surgical and medical instruments they call him the father surgery and he's someone that still to this day any um contemporary surgeon um would reference as the father surgery so you're right like sometimes we well we focus Where you know i think human beings we sometimes you know our our vision is a little bit limited and i, I don't blame someone but we, we will you know focus on the negative Aspects um, and, and some of the negative fruits, if you will, but there's these, you know, really beautiful, um, you know, uh, fruits that have been yielded for, from these mm. faiths. And same with Christianity in terms of science. A lot of science um, was developed through the church um, mm. during its golden period.
3: I've spent quite a quite a bit of time pondering this question. What is it that where is this fear coming from? And I think that really is what what it boils down to, is there's a fear of the foreign, there's a fear of the other. And this is, it takes many different manifestations, different forms, whether it's a fear of another religion, fear of another ethnic background. I mean, I experienced fear just parking my car on Columbia mm. <laughs> and wondering, is my car going to be safe? And then realizing, no, why, why do I have this mentality? These are my brothers and sisters. That for, are around me.
0: For those who don't know, we're on the in, right in the heart of the downtown east side, um, and uh, you know, and the community here is, you know, this is a community that is is suffering a lot with addictions.
3: Mm-hmm. And having me coming in with that stereotype or having that apprehension d- doesn't help the brothers and sisters that are mm-hmm. here. So it was another, you uh, it was a daily a- action that, that I personally have to take is to check myself. What is it that I'm? Why am I not taking this action or, or moving forward because I'm... What am I afraid of? Mm, that's a
0: very good point because I, I think, um, like in schools, for example, there's... I, I, I don't want to presume, but I imagine, for example, we were to take kids to the downtown East Side, um, that there would be, maybe from parents, a lot of apprehension. Um, maybe with, you know, of course, some, some good reason. But, you know, with our junior youth group, um, we, you know, many of whom live in Strathcona, on the doorsteps of the downtown East Side, um, we we bring them right into the heart, uh, with their parents' permission, of course. Um, but to try to break down those barriers and, like you said, challenge the the other, you know, to, to welcome the other in a, in a way, um, you know, while using like you know caution, but but also not fearing fearing the other. And you're, I never thought about it like that, but you know, our fear of the other is not exclusive to. Or limited to faith and spirituality, but other things, uh, other things that challenge us, like people who have deep um, illness and, and whatnot.
3: Yeah, I mean, I have fear just working in the school that I work in, because the majority of the staff members are white, or visibly white, and I'm one of the minority teachers there. Just even walking into a room, sometimes I have to really <laughs> check myself and, and, and question, what is it? What's going to happen to me? It's, I'm just going to walk into the room. It's going to be okay. I had to kind of work myself uh, into a space of at least feeling safe and, and comfortable, and, and and being able to uh, function there when I feel quite often like an outsider.
0: Really, and do you think it's improved, um, you know, since you began teaching?
3: Hmm. Oh, definitely. And and to be honest, it's probably because of my own mindset. Uh-huh. I think uh, from my own my own experience many a lot of the prejudice and racism it becomes ingrained and it 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 really is a way of survival and and to be fair that in order to navigate the society where there are so many negative images of indigenous people i mean i i remember so clearly that the worst time of the year for me was during halloween and thanksgiving because you'd see all of these representations of indigenous people Mm -hmm on storefronts, every every place that you went into, in schools. I mean, I my second grade teacher had all of the students either dress up as Indians or pilgrims with the stereotypical feathers sticking on the back of their head. And to make it matters worse, she had me dress up as the pilgrim.
0: Oh,
3: gosh. <laughs> I imagine my parents coming down to the school and they were so angry. And as a child, I don't understand why they're so angry. I have this teacher who I really love and my parents are being very antagonistic towards her. So, it's very confusing. And um, I remember another time one of my favorite fast food restaurants that I love to go to. My dad said, we can never go there again because they had, of course, at Thanksgiving drawn silly pictures of Indians, and mm-hmm. he had gone and talked to the manager who wasn't who was unwilling to remove the images. And so he said, "We're never going there again." So, in my understanding, it was my it was my dad who was pushing this. he was he was the one that was so angry, and I didn't see that kind of anger visibly from others. So, you learn to start to read other people very carefully and look for these subtleties and these signs. Am I safe here? Is this other person, do they have my best interests at heart? Do they see me in this limited fashion? Uh, Do they actually care who I am beyond uh, my skin color or my my last name in my case as well? Bighorn is (laughs) a pretty strong indication of my background. So, I know I come into the school setting with that apprehension that I will... I'll be the outsider that I won't be as welcome that you know going to the powwow or going to a potlatch over the weekend isn't the gardening activities that my other colleagues are doing on the weekend and mm-hmm. and it will be awkward to be able to to explain what those ceremonies are. So I think there's a mixture of both that, that the wider community is is letting go of their fear and putting themselves in a vulnerable position and I also have to do that as well.
0: Yeah, and I think it requires some you know, reflection. Like, you know, this is something that is really um, a, a deep issue in our culture in, in North America right now, and not limited to Indigenous peoples, but also, you know, in African American and all different types of cultures who are, you know, speaking out. And I think there's a there is a real, um, I guess I don't know if the right word is a dialogue, but there is a, a tension maybe around. You know this kind of balance of like sensitivity and and also um respect for others and you know i think some f- f- people on the other side um may say you know this is oh we're may, are we being too sensitive or are we taking this too far in our criticism of the you know use of imagery and i mean i'm just something that comes to mind for example is like the the washington redskins and and their logo and you know people talk oh this is you know this is part of the history of the team and this is a you know it's a um, you know important football brand and um it's not a, it's not offensive and they'll cite statistics saying that like a lot of indigenous people do not find it offensive so it's 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 a difficult conversation but how do you you know how do you approach that like where do you think like is there where is the line if you will um and how we depict different races and cultures in you know, in our popular culture, in all different parts of um, our lives, mm. you know, where like, and I think this is where we're struggling. I think the lines moving in the sense that we are, I think, reorienting ourselves in terms of what's appropriate. But I don't think anyone knows where that line is, and mm. I don't know. What do you think? How do you approach that? Mm.
3: I had the the privilege of, of listening to an elder describe the basic principle in in our culture was. It's, it's all about relationships, the relationships between one another and the unity in the community. And she described how for our people living in, on the prairies, you're living in sometimes blizzard conditions. And all you have separating you from those elements is a, is a very thin layer of skin, of buffalo skin. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that you are able to survive in such harsh conditions? You can only do that When you have a community around you, Mm -hmm. because you can't, you can't do every job. You can't be the scout. You can't also be the hunter and the gatherer and caring for the children and the story keeper. You can't do every single job. And so everyone has a place in that teepee. If you send someone out, someone you don't like, they're going to die. And if you choose to leave because you can't get along with the others, then you die. And they in turn will lose your your resources and your your capacity, and they will also suffer because of it. We all have to be in the TP together. And having heard that elder describe this in such simple terms, but actually it's quite profound. For me that this journey of understanding, trying to understand the current race relations situation that we have in this in this country, in this on this continent, in this world, I'm starting to realize how important the very fundamental, level that relationship is so at the the first question i'll ask myself is how having sh- shaken someone's hand what is what i'm saying or what i'm about to do is that going to hurt them because i don't want to hurt my brothers and sisters if i really look at all of humanity as my relative then i would want to do what is in the very best interest of others even if that means sacrificing something that is important to me mm-hmm. and i wonder if that could be introduced into this dialogue, instead of focusing so much on d- and demanding rights, mm-hmm. put the emphasis on what is it that you're willing to give up for others, mm. and making that uh, th- that process of reflection more more prominent, because there's only <laughs> so much change I think that can happen. On, I mean, on a, on a surface level, without change having to happen internally so sometimes that that change is harder to affect and being in the in the teaching profession i'm very lucky to be able to witness that over a short period of time i've seen students oh so many of them indigenous and non-indigenous really embrace with open hearts and minds and a real focus on justice they're trying to change first themselves and then the people that are around them
0: yeah, I think that's something that is really amazing. Seeing young people, you know, I, I, after the, the shooting that was in Florida, um, and there was the, um, I think it was in D.C., the, the large event, and seeing so many, like, um, like, junior youth, like even 11, 10-year-olds speak out. And I thought, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen this before. I think during the 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 Vietnam War era, there was a real movement of youth, but I don't think they're even that young. I could be mistaken, because it's not my time, but... Um, I was amazed at how young these people are, how eloquently they spoke and, um, and they spoke with a moral authority. You know, I think that was really um, inspiring. And I, I think that, that gives me a lot of hope. Um, you know, I think, and, and I really appreciate what you're saying about this question, that this, in terms of this line and these sensitivities, this is really a question about how do we achieve unity? Um, and I think unfortunately we 're maybe approaching it in a adversarial way often on both sides is you know it 's like about you know um, what do what am I holding on to and what do I want and um, rather than thinking okay what what can I do that 's in the best interest of my the members of my family and those are all the races you know all the cultures um, they're all we 're all part of that same family and you know, I think these question of these, you know, this imagery and depictions and all these things and references and and jokes, you know, that one like it's not always clear. I think you know what is appropriate, but that to be sensitive, you know, to others, like if it causes someone pain, then I think even if and even if their pain is maybe maybe it's even unjustified sometimes, I think it does bear um, attention and and you know and do care. You know, if I'm bringing someone harm, then you know, does, is it necessary, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, a quote. It's from, from Abdu'l-Baha, who's the son of the founder of the Baha'i Faith, Baha'u'llah. And he was talking about um, this analogy of, of a garden and how it's likened to humanity. And he said, Behold a beautiful garden full of flowers, shrubs and trees. Each flower has a different charm, a peculiar beauty, its own delicious perfume and beautiful color. The trees, too, how varied are they in size, in growth, in foliage, and what different fruits they bear. Yet all these flowers, shrubs, and trees spring from the, same, the self-same earth. The same sun shines upon them, and the same clouds give them rain. And then he says, So it is with humanity. It is made up of many races, and its peoples are of different color, white, black, yellow, brown, and red, but they all come from the same God, and are all servants to him. This diversity among the children of men has unhappily not the same effect as it has among the vegetable creation, where their spirit is more harmonious. Um, Among men exists a diversity of animosity, and it is this that causes war and hatred amongst the different nations of the world. Um, and then it kind of continues, and it talks about that, that Baha'u'llah has drawn the circle of unity. He has made a design for the uniting of all the peoples and for the gathering of them, all under the shelter of the tent of universal unity. And, you know, I just think about this again. It, if we approach these questions, I think, with that spirit of this tent of unity, you know, and looking at each other as as flowers of one garden... Um, you know, as, as trees in the same orchard, you know, how does that affect, you know, how we look at one another, how do we speak to one another? Hmm. Um, and it may seem, I don't know, silly to some, but I think it's true. I, 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 I think it, that those kind of, that thinking has affected me, um, hmm. and it seems to, you know, affected you in your in your class.
3: Yeah, very much so. I re- remember hearing an elder speak about reconciliation, and one thing he said really struck me, he described how this vision that we have of reconciliation, you know this this mutual respect and understanding and, and compassion, if our vision is to have that, then we actually have to live it now. I can't say, okay, some years down the line, decades from now, we're going to have this great vision, but in the meantime, I'm going to say everything that's on my mind and call out every person for their racist behavior and be very aggressive and antagonistic towards them in, in the name of something that's good. I'm trying to add, you know, highlight how systematic racism still exists. I'm going to do that now, but somewhere down the road, we'll have unity. He said, no, you, if you, you want to have that vision, you actually have to live it now in your own life. And that really gave me a, an opportunity just to look back on some of the, the things that I have done in that name of justice, wanting to be just, and then recognizing that I, I caused another person hurt by purposely calling them out in a way that caused them to be, feel humiliated, um, which caused them to be embarrassed or ashamed, when instead I could have had a private conversation you know or you know, maybe had a relationship with them first, of some kind before taking that next step to, to admonish them or you know, to criticize them. Even that has a, has a pretty negative tone to it. So I look at these young people because I also see so many of them in the school that I work at who have taken on this challenge of and they're, they're very aware of the injustices in society. And I th- think they're starting to be aware of the power that they have. I've cautioned them to to consider what that elder had said to me. That if, you, if you're hoping for this vision of unity, then you need to live it now. At the same time, I think that the period of youth is very unique. And there's, I don't want to say that they're reckless. But there's, there's something uninhibited in, in the manner of their speech and, and the way that their ideas are formed. And I, I think that has a, it has a beneficial effect on all society. So, it isn't my place to go in and criticize them and say, this is what you're doing wrong. But rather to highlight what it is that they're doing very well. And to mm-hmm. know that the maturity that I've gained... It's only because years have gone by, and I've been able to witness and have conversations, and and be more self-reflective. So, I think we all have a different role to play at different times in our life.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. So, we're going to listen to a song now. Um, this is Whitefish Bay Singers, the Grand Entry. This is selected by Jelena. Um, and then when we come back, uh, we're going to talk to Jelena about her program and uh, and about Aboriginal Awareness Week that they celebrated. Thanks for listening to Swyleth, Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM. Vancouver, vancouver op radio 100.5 fm i'm cyrus greenall and i want to give a shout out to ganarji o'sullivan and gary olver um you know gary um i don't want to go into too much detail but um suffered kind of from an incident and um uh, and they're taking some time off so i want to send my love and my prayers to them and, uh, and we miss them and uh looking forward to seeing them back um on the show Soon, hopefully next week. But we're here with um, Jelena Bighorn, and uh, we were just, gosh, talking about everything, um, and uh, you know her Lakota um, teachings and culture, how it's influenced her her story of becoming a teacher. And uh, you know, now we wanted to talk about the program that you're doing um, at the schools and Aboriginal Awareness Week, and all those exciting things.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, recently at the, the school that I work at, we just finished Aboriginal Awareness Week, or Indigenous Awareness Week, as it's, as it's being called now. And so a number of, of teachers, administrators collaborated to put this program together, and it's, I believe it's the third or fourth year that it's been running, uh, so much so that the students at the school very much expect it to happen, and it's become part of the school culture. So it's a week, an opportunity for uh, teachers to have different workshop presenters come into their classrooms on a variety of different topics, uh, teaching different art forms, dance forms, etc. We'll also start with grade assemblies, so every student in the school will attend the assemblies and receive the same information. And this year, the the theme was stand up and, and listen. Or, or listen and stand up. <laughs> it would be the other way around. Uh, we were able to invite kind of a famous actor, Eric Schwig. He That's was in right. Last of the Mohicans. Oh, he I was that the movie. really hot guy. <laughs> and it was quite, quite funny because I had just finished watching that film with my students in First Nations 12. And I had them write some essays about uh, how stereotypes were either reinforced in the film or they were challenged. Mm. And I had them write one of their paragraphs had to, on how the stereotypes are challenged. The topic was how Uncas was so hot. <laughs> I said, no, there's a, stereo, there's a stereotype that indigenous people are not that good looking, but look at him.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at a picture. Man, yeah. Like, nice hair. Yeah, man, no, I know. Dreamy.
3: So I was I was pretty excited when he came in for the assemblies and all my students were eagerly looking at my face to see how i would react anyways uh so he he was able to come in and really spoke from the heart and i was unaware that he did so much work on the downtown east side he's very very much an advocate for the the homeless brothers and sisters and people suffering from addictions and we also had a number of students from my class speak in front of their peers which is incredibly intimidating i mean most of the the audience was between three or four hundred kids. Wow! So for them to be able to speak about their how the course had changed them the majority of them coming from non indigenous backgrounds Mm -hmm. uh, it was really beautiful to see these mostly young white students speak with such sincerity that they had come in maybe with one assumption about what the course would be like, but they, had, they didn't realize that they'd have to do so much self-reflection
0: mm. and
3: really put themselves in a vulnerable place and, and start to question family values, what they had been taught. But then, because we, we had emphasized this message of unity throughout the course, they're able to, to kind of reconcile that our families aren't perfect, that, that, many, that we, many of the stereotypes and prejudices that we have were passed down to us. But that doesn't mean we can't love our families, right? And and understand that the next generation, of course, we will we'll see improvement. So to hear them just speak so sincerely, and 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 one girl in particular said, "You know, I've experienced humiliation too. I've experienced you know shame and degradation, and I've been embarrassed, but never because of my race." And I think for her, that that was very profound that she could mm. see. Yes, as human beings, we all suffer the same you know, range of emotions and, and afflictions, but she had not experienced them because of her skin color, whereas Indigenous people do. And f- for her, at that young, you know, age of 16, to have that insight and that awareness, I think was really profound, and it, it really had an effect on the students in, in the audience, who I think are also struggling with their role. Um, in particular white students what is my role in this in this new world where i'm becoming more aware of uh, some atrocities that people have, you know similar looking to me that have have committed in the past clearly i'm not a part of that group but where, where do i fit into this so it was great to have those young people really speak from the heart and offer some guidance
0: that sounds beautiful um you know, do you do you know like so? There, you said majority of the students that are in the program are non-indigenous, um, and and do you know like do you do you talk to them about like what motivated them to take that program? Great, because mm-hmm. it's an elective, I, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? Yeah, what brought them there in the first place?
3: Mm-hmm. It sounds like for many of them, they had seen students the year before speaking at the Indigenous Awareness Week oh, assemblies, no. and they they did not. They were just so a- a- amazed by seeing their fellow classmates speak so eloquently and such passion. And I I was unaware that students don't speak in front of each other at the assemblies. Mm-hmm. And so it was quite an, an outstanding event for these younger students to see. So when the, the co- time came for them to pick their senior-level social studies course, that's the course that they opted for.
0: Wow. And, um, you know, it, it, I imagine to to do all this like to have this assembly and have all the students attend that requires you know a lot of uh, administrative support and so on. So, how has that gone
3: we have been incredibly lucky uh, in the relationships that we've built with the administrators at the school and, and it's hard work it's, it's really becoming friends and, and caring for one another learning about each other's lives and then doing the difficult work of uh, deciding what's the next course of action are we going? What do we What do we want the students to grapple with? What do we put in front of them? We want to make sure that the momentum is pushing forward, but it's difficult work, and there are students who will leave from assemblies or from reading uh, some information that we put in the the school display case or you know, something else that they'll see that really is upsetting to them, and they there will be resistance. There will be some pushback, and we've had to as a team of teachers and administrators, really kind of hone our consultation skills to hear where each person is coming from and at the same time understand that when you're working against systemic racism, it isn't actually about individuals. You don't really need a bunch of flaming racists to keep the system in place. You actually just need people who continue to follow what is laid out before them and not, not question well, why is it at the school that I work at that of all of the pictures of past principals, there's not one person of color on that wall? Mm. That, that should be questioned. Is it because people of color don't have the capacity to do that job or they don't want to or they're just not educated enough or is there a system in place that's denying them that opportunity? Well, if that's the case, then let's try to understand that. So, it, it's, it's constant work it's difficult work, but we're, we're very lucky to have a group of individuals who are willing to take that on.
0: When you, you say there's you know, some of this pushback and, and resistance, like what in what form, what does that look like?
3: It's, it's very subtle sometimes. It is, it's in comments that students will write. Uh, we had a survey that we had given out to the students just to get some feedback on what it is they know about Indigenous people, what is their perceptions of Indigenous people. And we took the questions from a national survey that had been developed by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So, it wasn't just our own, you know, I'm wondering this situation. So, we were able to get some feedback there. And on the written portion, many of the students had taken, instead of saying what they had learned about Indigenous culture, they took the opportunity to say, well, I think Indigenous people... (laughs) Of, you know, they have enough handouts they have enough freebies and the situation's been I, I know it's been bad in the past but we've fixed everything now and it's time to move on mm. so we it's very subtle this kind of pushback um, mm-hmm. there will be oper- sometimes when it will be a bit more confrontational with maybe another teacher or parents but it is it's tough work because that is the that is the culture in Canada from my own perception yeah. Having grown, grown up in the U.S. where it's more in your face, I'm, I almost I prefer that.
0: Yeah, and that's true. I, I often remark about that, that, um, you know, the difference in, in Canada-U.S. and U.S. prejudice is more overt. And, you know, sometimes that's better because you can actually directly address it. Here, you know, since childhood, I remember... Seen, um so much prejudice towards indigenous peoples, but it was often subverted and and you know in hidden and mm-hmm. is behind closed doors you know yep. we're very polite um, you know we don't always express ourselves and like say how we actually feel and then they come out in these kind of surveys and of course when a a teenager is expressing those opinions saying that oh there's they you know uh, native people get handouts and they should move on et etc those are coming from their parents of course they don't have enough experience or uh, likely um I I I I suspect in often case that that opinion has been formed through their parents. Mm-hmm. And it's a common I remember growing up in in West Vancouver and in Vancouver um in you know affluent communities and um, communities that were somewhat detached from um, indigenous communities that that was a very common or and it still is a very common opinion. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it, it's interesting I think it's something that That the US is dealing with as well, not just with indigenous peoples, but also with uh, African American people. And, you know, slavery was a long time ago, you know, move on, that kind of thing. But I realized, like, you know, when you spend time, you know, I asked someone, like, before they form that opinion, you know, go to a potlatch, you know, go up to Alert Bay or go nearby at Squamish Nation, go to a potlatch and speak to people and really listen. Listen to them with your heart, and then see if you can kind of form that same opinion. Because I think you would you would maybe reconsider that this is a far more deep problem. Um, and their grandparents that still alive who attended residential school, and to um, you know suggest that that that's enough time to get over something that's so endemic. You know, taking kids forcibly out of their homes. Um, indoctrinating them with, um, you know, forcing them to not speak their language, um, not to mention those that lived on the reserves, um, the, the prejudices that they f- they faced. But to imply that that can be kind of solved in, like, a, you know, in a generation is is really silly, I think, and mm-hmm. and short-sighted. Um, but, um, you know, it's good that, to ask those questions, you know, at least, like you said, to bring these things to light.
3: Mm-hmm. And... It's through that dialogue, that conversation that our understanding, our, our reading of reality is is developed. And the way that I talk about racism or my understanding of systemic racism it's different than it was five years ago. It was different a week ago. Because I am continually engaging in this, in this dialogue and trying to learn from other perspectives and I'm sure next week it'll be somehow altered again. So it isn't a a static state of being, and I think that's the hard part in education. That that openness, knowing that at the end of a the discussion there probably won't be an answer. It's very difficult for a, as an educator to navigate that and to know how do I how do I provide closure for students because I really often do leave them with, well, you you guys have to figure this out because yeah. I don't I don't know. Here's my own little small perspective, but. It's for your generation to to grapple with this and to, to make the changes that are necessary. So it is it is difficult, but the fruits of that, that type of space I've seen students transform over the years. I, I had one student last year who was visibly white but had is indigenous, had grown up in an indigenous family, um, and just happened to to look very white, and throughout his life had chosen not to identify. When asked, because he saw how indigenous people were treated and, and of course he wanted to protect himself. And it was only through the course of the year uh, that I was teaching him in an English course and having encouraged him to really at, accept his heritage and to, to rather than submit to this system, he he should work and fight against it he came into the course this year and was one of those students who spoke at the great assemblies in such an eloquent beautiful manner he spoke to the ninth graders which is a very hard group Mm. to to get to pay attention they're they're a tough crowd he he spoke to them not uh, not in a place of i'm better than you and i know these things he was very honest and said probably when i was your age i I wasn't able to take this information in either and maybe you won't maybe it's something that will come on later but he said I used to sit there and try to hide and now I've come to a place in my life where I want to tell people when I meet them that I'm indigenous I want to identify with this heritage and he just spoke so honestly and so powerfully to see that transformation in a young person and to know that that progress isn't isn't one that's going to regress he's only going to continue from there it makes all of this, the difficulties and the challenges at work. It makes all of it very much worth it.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, I think about how, ma- how many years have you been have you been doing this program? Mm, about nine. Nine, nine years. Nine. I mean, ju- just that story alone, I th- feel like makes the whole um, the whole program worth it. I can't imagine how many. There's probably countless stories like that. Mm. Um, but. Um, you know, it's um, it's so beautiful. I mean, it could I have a profound effect over someone's lifetime?
3: Yeah. You know, there was a a student that I had. Well, I didn't have him, but it was after actually one of these great assemblies that he I'd noticed he'd been uh, talking and not listening to the, the presentations, and he wasn't a student of mine. But I called him out after the assemblies, and he was just so insolent and disrespectful. And I really hadn't come across a young person like this before. So, I called him to the side and really, really laid into him. Like, I've never laid into another human being before. Because my concern was, he doesn't know how to give respect because no one has ever respected him. Mm. And what what kind of a life is that? To go through and never know what it's like to have people listen to you or, or to think that what you have to say is important. So, I really presented that to him and said... I group to mm-hmm. get to pay attention <laughs> they're, they're a tough crowd <laughs> he he spoke to them not uh, not in a place of I'm better than you and I know these things he was very honest and said probably when I was your age I, I wasn't able to take this information in either and maybe you won't maybe it's something that will come on later but he said I used to sit there and try to hide and now I've come to a place in my life where I want to tell people when I meet them that I'm indigenous I want to identify with this heritage and he just spoke so honestly and so powerfully. To see that transformation in a young person, and to know that that progress isn't isn't one that's going to regress. He's only going to continue from there. It makes all of this the difficulties and the challenges at work. It makes all of it very much worth it.
0: That's beautiful. I mean, I think about how, how many years have you been have you been doing this program? Mm, about nine. Nine years. Yep. I mean. Just that story alone, I feel like makes the whole um, the whole program worth it. I can't imagine how many. There's probably countless stories like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, it's um, it's so beautiful. I mean, it could have a profound effect over someone's lifetime. Yeah. You know,
3: there was a a student that I had. Well, I didn't have him, but it was after actually one of these great assemblies that he. I'd noticed he'd been. Uh, Talking and not listening to the the presentations. And he wasn't a student of mine, but I called him out after the assemblies. And he was just so insolent and disrespectful. And I really hadn't come across a young person like this before. So I called him to the side and really, really laid into him. Like I've never laid into another human being before. Because my concern was he doesn't know how to give respect because no one has ever respected him. Mm. And what, what kind of a life is that to go through and never know what it's like to have people listen to you or, or to think that what you have to say is important so I really presented that to him and said I think this is why you, you weren't listening at the assembly and I th- he almost started crying I think because that it hid a truth that he, he recognized that I want to have respect from my fellow students and from others and I don't have that how do I get that so I left last year feeling quite poorly about having this interaction with a student that I'd ne- I didn't even know his name and it just had left it at that so I was very surprised in September to see him sitting in my classroom wow. <laughs> having opted to take the course knowing that I teach it so we've never really had a conversation about what it is that drove him to, to, to come into the course but he's one of those students who is just t- taking in the information with such sincerity and such a desire to, to learn and the classroom setting is one because we have this this understanding of relationships and spirituality our connection to each other as human beings he feels i think probably for the first time that other people really value his opinion and value his his life his his presence in the room so it's on so many different levels that that space is one where you can see growth of all kinds in all different students
0: well, thank you for sharing. Um, so we're going to listen to um, a clip, and we're going to kinda just switch topics a bit. Um, I um, had the pleasure of attending a, a feast um, hosted by the Everson family in Comox, and they're part of the Kwakwaka'wakw Nation, um, which is a nation that is from the mid Vancouver Island all the way up to um, Alert Bay, north of Vancouver Island, and um, and Kingcome Inlet, and so on. Um, it's a beautiful territory, and place that's dear to my heart um so listen to a clip from chief randy cook who shared at this potlatch, and just um just a bit of a taste uh of you know kind of one chief's perspective and how we're all united and fit together as you know um in their nation but all nations um and uh and Jelena, of course has a connection with that community and we'll talk about that after we we have a listen to to randy
2: We all started, you know, different When We started our families on and on. We're connected to our land. But it's a carbon copy really of who we are as Montagila, who the Pargil are. When you look at the same names and the Namimahs and everything, it's all the same. That's how closely connected we are. And it's so nice when we get back to knowing our origin and our stories and everything, because then we talk about our ancestors. Montegila, who was there, he is our ancestor too. You know, he's our ancestor of, uh, of the Mopagila. So, as we all move forward, we start talking about how important these ancestors mean to us. It starts to show how our culture unfolded, and all the different animas spread, and all the different tribes and villages, and intermarriages, and why we have the dances we have, and all the different things that were obtained. But the number one thing that I found through everything that I've read are the virtues of kindness, love, unity, all togetherness. And everything that we have today is all about unity and coming together, being one, raising each other up, feeding each other, housing each other, we give, we share, all of it. And, you know, we've gone through so much in our culture. We've had it taken away from us, You know so many of our people have suffered with residential schools, some of our people suffer today and we talk about healing and moving forward and what that means. And it's this today, right now, is what's healing. Bringing us together and sharing, sharing in our culture, sharing who we are. And I just want to say thank you to you guys for continually doing this. Because my brother Andy, I know you love research and I like sharing notes with you when we go back and forth because it's exciting when we get to that level because we're like, oh, look how close we were related thousands of years ago. You know, we're not doing anything new. We're just doing what we're meant to do. And it's just a reminder. When you guys do this and you pull everybody together, you're reminding us again of who we are and how close we're related we are. We're related in many ways. I don't have to go into how close we are. But uh, I just want to say thank you. It really means a lot to me. I really love all of you guys. Your whole family you guys are really precious to me. And I'm always there to support you. You can always count on me to be there. And now I have the luxury of uh, having Carver in my studio, so I get to harass him now. He doesn't have a choice. I'm like, don't screw it up.
0: So that was uh, Chief Randy Cook speaking at the Everson Family um, Feast or, or Potlatch um, that was last weekend, I think, that I was at. And um, it's beautiful to hear, um, you know, when you talk about the teachings, right, about unity, um, you know, about um, this, these virtues of kindness and love and, and respect for one another and how these, these teachings um, are so integrated um, into the culture, you know, and how do we go back, like Randy said, they've always been there, you know, and, and the culture was taken away from us, but how do we go back and unearth them? Um, you know, so I know, Jelena, you know, that part of, um, you know, of the of the province is, is, is part of your history, and, you know, maybe you can tell us, um, and I think you were part, because the for the Baha'is has been a really long um, and beautiful relationship with that community and I think you were at the kind of beginning of that the inception of that maybe you can tell us a bit mm-hmm. about that.
3: Yeah, I like how you really added in how long it's been because <laughs> it has been <laughs> not uh, to date you. Yeah, well, I think my my 20th grad anniversary is coming up not too not too far from now so it has been a while. I was attending Maxwell International Baha'i School, which was located in Shawnigan Lake on Vancouver Island. It has since closed, but it was a such a beautiful space to grow up in, surrounded by the Baha'i teachings and growing up with people from around the world. I, my family became very close with a family from Atlanta, Georgia. Their last name was uh, Varner. And in particular, their daughter Tahari Varner became an adopted sister of mine. And during her ninth grade year, she was on a basketball team that had gone up and played up north. Uh, the Maxwell team had gone to play and somehow had played a team from Alert Bay. And she'd become very close friends with some of the, the players from Alert Bay and uh, somehow got, got to meet Pee Wee Alfred. And once you meet, meet Pee Wee Alfred, you're in. <laughs> she, she is Alert Bay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the friendship was struck and the following, like in the next few months, our dance workshop group w- was invited to go up to Alert Bay for a two-week period, and it that's where the relationship, I from what I understand, between really the, the Baha'is and uh, the friends in Alert Bay was, was solidified, and it became this really beautiful process of youth, Baha'i youth going to be of service at the different sporting events, uh, at the different potlatches, um, and it is... It is something unique, I think, about the Baha'i community in that it longs to serve indigenous people. Hmm. I I had a friend from Ontario who, an an older white uh, male who, his family was very astounded when when he became a Baha'i, having never been religious themselves. But over the years, his brother finally said, you know, there must be something about this Baha'i faith because I never have seen another religion long to serve indigenous people the way that you do. (laughs) what is it about this Baha'i faith? And I think that what the brother witnessed is very true. That, that uh, the Baha'is recognize that, that this, the wisdom and the inherent uh, spirituality amongst indigenous people and the teachings that have been passed down to us, that they are so much in line with the Baha'i teachings and in fact can shed maybe some understanding on, on some of those teachings.
0: Hmm. I, you know, I think about what Randy was sharing um, about lifting each other up, you know, and I think for me that's what has really resonated, um, you know, as a someone who's, you know, raised up a high um, and kind of later in life, I mean, I always grew up around indigenous culture, but later in life developed a real closeness and realized, like, you know, what an honor it is to lift people up, especially those who have been, you know, Pushed down, who have been oppressed, and um, to think it's a, it's such an honor. I think that like, you know this, you know, a hundred years ago and still today in different forms. But how you know the potlatch was banned um, and it was um, you know illegal to practice.
3: Yeah, it it's it's shocking. Actually, actually we just uh, learned about that in class about the first potlatch that was uh, persecuted in 1923, Dan Craveners potlatch and the students read through the text and and saw that the the events that took place and how the regalia was literally stolen from the uh, these indigenous people from Alert Bay and given to the Indian agent who said he would sell it on their behalf and that they would receive some of the money but in fact he took the regalia or it was sold to various museums uh, when the the Indigenous people from Alert Bay asked for their their items back. The museum said, "Well, we'll give it back to you, but you have to have built a fireproof building before we're going to give it back." As if they have a right <laughs> to to request anything. Yeah, to dictate the terms. No, I mean, and even I mean, this whole process of of keeping things in museums. I mean, there was an Indigenous group who one of their totems totem poles had been taken to. Sweden
0: mm. and
3: by one of the museums and had requested it back and but the, the Swedish museum had said but you're going to let it you're not going to preserve it properly you're going to let it rot <laughs> <laughs> and they said that's what it's supposed to do yeah <laughs> they're not supposed to preserve these things for yes. all time they haven't they have a natural cycle mm. so it, it even on on that level it was, it was helpful for the students to see we have these different ideologies there's just this belief that there's a natural cycle in life and you have to let things go and be detached and Hmm. it's through this discussion that we start to understand that we do have have different principles so
0: yeah well that's a beautiful segue um, talking about uh, poles Um, we have a a carver um, who's on the line a friend uh, also a member of the Baha'i community um, Bear, Bear I don't even know your last name actually I can't even properly introduce you can you hear us? Yes, I can. Bear, how are you? Good. I don't Good. know if you know. So I'm joined here um, with Jelena Bighorn. I don't know if you know Jelena. If you guys have met before,
1: I know Deloria.
0: Oh, that's her mom. Oh, cool. <laughs>
1: awesome.
0: So, Bear, can you you know um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll talk about the the poll that you're going to be working on? Um, and I know you you like you told me you're not you're still kind of learning a little bit about. That story, but maybe you tell us about your story first.
1: Okay, I could probably use a bit of my language, and oh, uh,
0: I would love that, please.
1: Okay, I'll just do a brief introduction. As a Hokanigan Chilasa of Wasinich, uh, he is Nemo. As he helped him know his world, I'm going to school to see what to Thank you. And my name is Bear Sam. I'm from, my late father was Dr. Samuel Sam, who he, he received the Order of Canada for his work with, um, as a drug and alcohol counselor, and saved a lot of lives from addictions. My late mother was Julia Fraser from Nanaimo, so I have a lot of relatives. And uh, I guess I was groomed as a child to be a canoe builder, a paddle maker, carver by my father. We have a huge family. And uh, yeah, I just, after I graduated high school, I went to look for a mentor and found a mentor in Charles Elliott and he taught me how to carve and then eventually ended up in Germany doing a totem pole over there, which I dedicated to my late mother, Julie Fraser, and I spent most of my life as a caregiver to my father, Dr. Samuel Sands. And he taught me everything there is to know about the Coast Salish people, the traditions, the protocols, the legacy of being Coast Salish, the names, name places, so eventually I went back to school to the University of Victoria, got my B.A. Uh, working towards a master's and hopefully a Ph.D. somewhere down the road so that I could teach at the University of Victoria and um, kind of bring something to the table about the Coast Salish people because mm. I think there's a lot, a lot has to be heard about. Coast Salish and not, not, not only the Coast Salish but First Nations in general mm. and I went to I've been going to Harper Mountain every year for the, uh, the Baha'i gatherings of nations and I ran into some people and they brought up Dorothy's name which I heard of several times she's a very powerful spiritual leader um, teacher, educator you know pretty much all of the above. <laughs> so I don't think there wasn't much she couldn't do as a kind of like a pioneer, a leader, a matriarch. So when I was asked and approached to do to re kind of refurbish, restore the totem, I I was honored. I didn't say no. I just kept talking to people from the mainland, I'm actually talking to one of my bosses right now on the computer and talking to you. (laughs) But I'm so excited to go over for the picnic. I'm leaving this Thursday to Vancouver to uh, join in on the festivities for a picnic and then discuss the restoration of the Dorothy Francis totem pole. So, you know, it's... Been a long journey, my friend.
0: Mm, that's a beautiful journey.
1: Uh, and it, it, you know, being on the red road, and then becoming a Baha'i is just, you know, my life has changed with so much blessings, you know. And working with the kids, working with JY and junior youth, and I'm just trying to give back what has been given to me by, you know, Creator. And I've I've been learning a lot from you know I moved into Victoria and I live in in the city now and so I'm with a, a new cluster but I've been I've I've been learning a lot I'm still doing the artwork I'm uh, painting on canvas so I've been pretty busy pretty much every night of the week since I moved into Victoria
0: Wow that's amazing Good for you
1: Yeah it's been been a long road, but a good road. So, yeah. I, like I say, I'm just honored to to do this job. Mm. And when I when I come back, I have to do another uh, restoration of a totem pole. It was actually one of the ones I did for the La travel Tribal School. I did that one for the for the kids at the tribal school, and it was a hands-on learning process, process for the kids so I actually taught them how to carve and and with the revitalization of language coming back you know all the students they never spoke any English they spoke some job, the whole time mm. they were there so it was very very impressive
0: you know just thinking about um, Dorothy Francis and, and Jelena did you did you ever meet uh, Dorothy Francis you I don't know?
3: think I ever had the chance no
0: I'm sure your parents knew her. Yeah, um, and, uh, and she also received... Uh, it's, I, I, that's a, a cool connection because she also received an Order of Canada, I believe.
1: Yeah, she
0: did. Um, and she was, for those who don't know, um, I, she, I guess, helped um, create the first Friendship Centre, um, which was in yeah. Ed- Edmonton, was it? Or am I right? Or yep. somewhere in that area. Um, that, that model, of course, which now exists across Canada... Um, and which is a big part of our uh, Vancouver culture for indigenous peoples.
1: Yeah, when I, I read about that, I thought, you know, if it wasn't for her, you know, a lot of our, there's such a diverse group of First Nations all across Canada, and now they have a place to gather, a place to go. You know, they have so many activities going at, a, at all of the Friendship Centers all across Canada. And I, I have actually, that's where I go to work with the junior youth here in Victoria.
0: Oh, it's at the Friendship Center, then?
1: Yeah. I was there just last week. I'm working with JY and kind of helping out. I'm not an animator as of yet, but I'm working towards it.
0: That's beautiful. And um, so to tell folks um, who are interested um, in attending, so there's a. Uh, for Mother's Day, so this is this is intended to be an annual event. Um, this is the second year running, and I'm so sad because I'm missing it again for <laughs> um, this year. But there is a uh, so Mother's Day picnic um, at the um, uh, at the uh, Dorothy. I think it's called Macobek Park. Um, the uh, for Dor I don't know if it's at, actually at that spot. No, I'm I'm mistaken. I think so. It's at Queens Park. In New Westminster, yes, sorry, that's where the pole is because there's also a park that's named after her, I think in I want to say in Port Moody or something, but sorry, so this is a different location. So the I think it's Port Coquitlam, yeah, Port Coquitlam, yes, that's right. Um, So Sunday at one p.m. on Third Avenue, so it's between First and McBride at Queens Park in New Westminster. It's a Mother's Day picnic, Um, and so Barry, you're going to be there. Um, and uh, and other friends and family of um, of Dorothy's, but anyone who's kind of interested in her story um, and how, um, like you say, you know her legacy, which was you know the friendship centers as a Baha'i as an indigenous leader, um, kind of many aspects to her that we want to celebrate.
1: Yeah, it's going to be. I uh, think I think it's your family who are sponsoring the, and the Baha'is are sponsoring the picnic, and like I say I'm just so honored and I feel so blessed to be invited and so excited to go over and uh, look at the pole. I've seen pictures and it's a bear pole too, so that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Mm. And, and can you tell like, I don't know anything about um, what it takes to, you know, kind of um, restore a, a pole. Like, what, what does that involve? What does that process look like?
1: Well, it's... Um, I've collaborated on a lot of poles, and I guess the main thing to do, when talking to past mentors, is to not so much sand the totems really, but to, to almost bring out the knives again and, and clean up, you know, some of the the paint that has been peeling, and you know, with the wind and the rain and the snow and. Um, the weather really uh it uh, really affects the the red cedar so it's just a you know you have to it's i guess just like how fixing a canoe you have to sand it paint it repaint it uh refurbish it i've done several canoes before brought canoes back to life but uh, working on this pole poll well, probably one of the first ones I've been asked to refurbish which is like I say, is a high honor mm. and then to come back and do my own totem you know, it's talking to colleagues of mine uh, they said the same thing that there's, you know, these totem poles last for so long, there's not too much of uh, call for, rest- for uh, restoring or refurbishing because they're just like a canoe, they're built for, you know, they're built for life. You know, some mm. of the canoes we have are seventy five, hundred years old, and they're still in the water.
0: Wow. I know. I know you have a canoe that you're working on that needs to be patched up.
1: Yeah, I'm working on a, a travel journey canoe. When I got the log, it was sixty feet long, and the chief of the Songhees band that asked me to build it for him was, was my cousin, the late uh, chief, Robert Sam, had hired me to, and my late father was with me too. So we, my father was my teacher, my mentor. From the age of five, he started to groom me to build, build canoes and so to, I've built a few travel journey canoes down on several race canoes, Race the race canoes are there are not many canoes in the races uh, these days because the travel journeys has uh, kind of taken over um, for for the racing canoes. But my father had taught me to build these fifty uh, foot race canoes, there, which are only half inch thick all the way through. Wow, fifty feet long, half inch thick.
0: That's, that's man. strictly for speed. <laughs> yeah. Man, it must require amazing precision to carve.
1: Oh, it's it's totally different carving a travel journey canoe you know, because the last one I built it was like three inches thick on the bottom and two inches thick on the sides on the gunnels, so they're built for the ocean and to, you know, take for, the waves
0: and uh-huh. things like that. Interesting. And okay, I see this is things that I would have never thought of. I would just you know <laughs> that all canoes are the same. I had no idea there's different types of like durability versus speed. It makes sense.
1: Well, yeah, the the, the one canoe that we had the um, the gunnels weren't wasn't buoyant enough. So my father had taught me how to steam the canoe and make the canoe wider to push the sides out. Mm. So that was another first for me. So I've you know I've been teaching. The, Younger guys, how how to use the adzes and axes, and and how to steam canoes, and it's a, it's a it's a difficult process because if you don't do it right, you'll um, have a flat canoe. Hmm.
0: <laughs> Man, well, it sounds like a beautiful practice, and I know um, Jay and I have committed. We want to come across and and help you work on the canoe. I know we both we want to roll up to a potlatch in the canoe one day.
1: Oh, I know that's that's a that's a dream of mine too, and and I have a few canoes here in in Victoria in the Songhees territory, and it's just a matter of asking the chief, the the local chief here in Songhees, if I could you know borrow one of them for maybe a couple of legs of the travel journeys, and maybe fill it up with a bunch of the the Twin Arrows and the Green Rivers. Oh, yeah. Uh, Rivers
0: United. Rivers United, exactly. And the, for those who don't know, those are um, two Baha'i soccer teams that could play in, um, in First Nations tournaments, uh, one of which is called June Sports in Alert Bay. Um, so, unfortunately, we're, we've run out of time. Um, Bear, I really want to thank you for calling. We, oh. we should We should have another call after the picnic just to follow up and see how everything went.
1: It was my pleasure, my friend.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, And thank you to Jelena Bighorn as well um, for coming on and and sharing everything about your life and your work at the school. Thanks for having me. Actually,
1: I think I've seen her on a video. (laughs)
3: <laughs> oh probably she's, she's famous yeah. she's all over yeah that's right yeah,
1: she's on the big screen <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: right
0: um, so thank you everybody for listening this is Niall's, uh, Vancouver Co-op Radio 100.5 FM I'm Cyrus Greenall and Ganarji O'Sullivan is away um, and we'll be back next week um, Tuesdays 1 to 2.30 and we'll leave you with another song from Whitefish Bay singers an honor song thank you everyone